the Stretch Four Fantasy Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Dan Titus and fantasy experts, Zach Hanshu and Adam Koffler. What's up, NBA fans? It's Adam Koffler, co-host of the Stretch Four Podcast, now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Our usual host, Dan Titus, couldn't be here today due to an illness, but we still have a very special guest on today. Before we get to that very special guest, Zach, my man, how you doing? What are your thoughts on the NBA Finals to this point? I guess at this point, man, after what we saw last night, I'm going to have to go Brandon Jennings and just say bucks and six, man. I, I mean, the Suns had him after two, and it just feels like momentum is totally on Milwaukee's side at this point, dude. I think they close it out at home. I guess they play game six on Tuesday, right? I think that's when it all ends. Man, I thought, I thought the Suns down one with the ball, Devin Booker ball in his hands, and the iconic Drew Holiday strip. And running the court with Giannis uh, for that alley-oop and then uh, staring down the entire city of Phoenix and Suns fans around the globe was just like super iconic, like maybe one of the most iconic moments since the that LeBron block. It's just spectacular stuff by Drew Holiday and all game long. But now to our to our special guest, he's covered the NBA since 2009. Uh, He's written for ESPN.com and CBS Sports. You can currently find him over at The Athletic, covering all things basketball, including the NBA Finals and the upcoming NBA Draft. So, Zach Harper, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing fantastic, man. Doing great, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you, speaking of Drew Holiday, man, I mean, what do you think of his performance? You tweeted something yesterday, put him into an elite category uh, with other basketball royalty, with guys that put up 25 points 10 assists and shot 60% from the field in the NBA Finals game. So can you talk a little bit about his performance and, and what you're seeing so far in the finals? Yeah, I mean, I, everyone's kind of made the like, oh, is he really that much better than Eric Bledsoe stuff because he hasn't shot well, but he's played really well, right? Like he hasn't made shots, but he's been, you know, getting assists. He's been playmaking for others. He's been great defensively. He's been rebounding the ball. And, you know, Eric Bledsoe's a, a good defender and Eric Bledsoe is okay at that other stuff, but he doesn't do all of that stuff the way Drew does. And so if you get a game where Drew's shot starts to fall and he starts, you know, knocking down jumpers and knocking them down with confidence and everything, um, that's like, it's just such a game changer because whether he's hitting shots or not, the Suns are worried about him, right? Nobody was worried about Eric Bledsoe. And so he gets into that game last night and he was forceful with his shot. He was getting them going early. He was kind of saving them when Giannis uh, went out of the game early on. They had that horrible first quarter, and they come back, and the reserves really helped bring that back. And Drew was great in keeping them afloat. And then, um, and then, man, just those bear claws for hands that he's got at the end of the game. Like, that, that is such an unbelievable play because he takes a huge, huge risk there. Like, Devin, Devin Booker comes down, and when Giannis – when Giannis kind of walls him off, there's a split second where maybe I think he's trying to figure out how to get it down to DeAndre Ayton because DeAndre Ayton is like below the defenders. And if you trust his hands there and you can drop a bounce pass to him, he can go right up for a dunk. And what a great play by Devin Booker at that point, right? Once he realizes he's not going to attempt that pass, he starts to turn because he knows Chris Paul's somewhere behind him. And Drew Holiday leaves Chris Paul, like leaves him wide open because he knew I'm getting my hands on this ball. And then, and then the alley-oop decision, like uh, there were a lot of people saying, Oh, that's such a risky play. It's not a risky play. Giannis was by himself. Like it took Chris Paul sprinting over to the, to create like kind of a dirty foul, by the way, or a very potentially dangerous foul. Um, 
he he came running over and barely got contact on him by the time the ball was through the hoop. Like it's just such a brilliant play. And I think it, it shows the resilience of Drew Holiday. He's never shied away from these shots, even when he's not making them. And I like guys like that. Yeah, I mean, just and the the cojones to to go up and 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 throw that oop like a lot of guys would would back that out. The Suns would foul. They'd go to the free throw line. Somebody you know might get nervous. You right. never know what's going to happen in that situation. And also on the on the defensive end, going back to what you said, good on amazing on Drew Holiday for for making that play defensively, but also good on the refs for not like calling a foul in that situation. Yeah, and then going to going to the table and reviewing it. And then you have a situation where, like, how do you overturn that if you do call it? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it just opens up a whole can of worms. I like that. You know, I know that you're not, never supposed to compliment the officiating, but I like that they just <laughs> let them play yesterday. Like, that was such a well-executed game. It was tough. It was physical. But I never felt at any point, like, there were some missed calls here and there and some bad calls here and there, but I never felt like it affected the game. You know, I just felt like the, they allowed them to play. And when you allow those two teams to play, like, we saw the product. It was great. Yeah, the Sun, I believe the Suns only got to the free throw line 11 times. So yeah, you're I right. Mean, they, they shot a lot of jumpers. Like, they were still, I believe, over 50% from the field, but so were the Bucks. Yeah. But so speaking of the Bucks being over 50% from the field, that was the first time in the series that they shot over 50% from the field. Can they continue that with the momentum heading into game six? I mean, they've won three straight, super impressive. Uh, but it's going to take a team effort outside of Giannis with Middleton and Holiday stepping up and being his Robin. What do you think? What do you think happens in game six? Uh, I mean, it's still the Bucks, right? Like they still like they actually they kind of wet themselves throughout most of that fourth quarter. Like they went to a really dumb style of offense, kind of just seemingly dribbling out the clock and or trying to for a few minutes. And and if it was if it, you know, let's say let's say Drew Holiday doesn't get that steal. Let's say Devin Booker rises up and hits a jumper or drops it down to DeAndre Ayton who scores or he kicks it out to Chris Paul. Like he gets that pass off and, and CP hits it. Um, what are we talking about today? Right? Like maybe the bucks still come back on that. Cause there's still what, like 15, 13 seconds left in that game. Maybe they come back and Chris Middleton saves the day or whatever, but, but they played really poorly down the stretch until that moment. And so I still think like there's a lot of vulnerability there. I still think there are a lot of offensive issues that they run into throughout these large stretches and, I don't know, like the role players usually hit more shots at home, so they, they should be fine. They should be able to close that out, but nothing about the last three years makes me feel confident. That, like, yep, trust the Bucks now. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think this could still very well go seven. Yeah, I mean, Devin Booker has had to really put this team on his back, but it hasn't, it hasn't worked in the, in the last couple of games. I mean, he put up, he's put up 40-plus in the last two games, games four and game four and game five. And the and the Suns have lost both those games. So the Suns are better when when Devin Booker is more not more of a distributor, but helping get other guys involved. And when Chris Paul is looking for his looking for his shot and being aggressive, as we saw in games one and two, when he put up like 22 and 23 shots in those two games, uh you'd have to think that Devin Booker is not scoring 40 points if the if the the Suns are going to win game six. It's going to be more of a more spread around bridges hitting three, four threes, Crowder hitting his five threes, stuff like that, spreading the floor. Um, but we'll see. It should be, it should be a good, uh, good, uh, good game six. And and hopefully what all NBA fans want is a game seven. So hopefully we can get a game seven back in Phoenix. 
Yeah, regardless of who wins, let's have the Bucks screw this up at least in Game Six, right? Let's <laughs> uh, let's finish this season. Nobody, off. We've, been, yeah. we've been grinding out as many games as we can from the NBA players. Like, let's get let's get two more. Yeah. Man, nobody nobody wants uh, four straight wins from the Bucks. Let's be serious. Everybody wants Chris Paul to get his shine back in Phoenix in Game uh, Seven. Let him, I mean, let him you know let him get a, the championship. I don't care, but just make it happen in Game Seven. Is is LeBron going to be there in Game Seven uh, if it's back in Phoenix on the sidelines? I don't know what his Space Jam press junket <laughs> tour is right now, so I have no idea. If there, oh, if there is a movie to to promote, I'm sure he'll be there. Speaking of Space Jam, I think you wrote an article over at the Athletic uh, on your thoughts on Space Jam. So why don't you uh, why don't you tell the uh, audience uh, what you think about the new movie with LeBron? I had no interest in 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 watching it, um, and then I was asked like, "Hey, will you will you watch or will you review this?" I said, "Nah, I think I'll pass." And I said, "Oh." <laughs> Uh, you know, one of the one of the, the you know the CEO of the Athletic wants us to do it. I was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'd love to watch this movie. That'd be great. <laughs> um, and so I uh, so I checked it out. Like, I don't like the original. The original is a terrible movie. It was fine. Like when I was a kid, it was, I was like, oh, Michael Jordan, ooh, Looney Tunes, this is great. But it's not a good movie. It's a horrible movie. And this one, I went in super low expectations. It's actually like pretty well done. Like it's it's a good attempt at a movie. There's a bunch of like clever moments in there. But it's also like it's two hours long. Like I think a movie <laughs> like that, the original was at least like out of there in eighty-eight minutes or whatever it was, right? This one is two hours long, and so, um, like I think it's way it's way better than I thought it would be. There are a couple of really clever jokes in there. They're trying to tie in for young people and their parents, uh, you know, going to this movie or watch on on HBO or whatever it's on. Um, so like I like it's a win. Like they like they did a they did a good enough job they they tweaked the script enough like the original concept enough they referenced that so it's not like oh what's happening here we've never seen this before like they make a bunch of jokes about that um, I wouldn't go pay to see it in the theater but like if you're you know a little drunk or a little high or just like bored or something like that like yeah you could throw it on HBO Max and like and and check it out for a couple hours a little drunk a little high or a little kid. Yeah. And then you might want to yeah. go check it out, right? So don't, hand, mix, hand, don't mix those with the last one. <laughs> you don't want to do that. I uh, I watched it with my boys on Friday night. They were so excited. They're six and four. They yeah. were so excited I'm to sure watch it. I'm sure kids love it, right? And yeah, like they loved it, man. But it's exactly to your point. It's exactly what my wife and I said too when we first turned it on because we have HBO Max too. It's like. Dude, two hours? They made oh, it. I was shocked. They they made it an hour and twenty minutes, which is about what I figured they would at that age. That's what I figured they yeah. would make it. Two hours. It just kind of drug on there for a little while, man. I was like, just get to the get to the basketball. Yeah, and it's not even like I don't know. Like I, it's funny because I was asking a bunch of people. I was like, do kids know what Looney Tunes are? No, like, <laughs> no, not right. I was no. like, okay. And then when I saw like the, it's very video game centric, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. This is how you get the kids in. Like, here's LeBron. Here's video games. Like, this is what it looks like. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because because we'll watch uh, with my three year old son, we'll watch just like random YouTube videos. And like, of course, like the Space Jam, like promos come up and he had to go to Target and get the LeBron figurine. And now he just wants to hold the LeBron figurine yeah. and watch the two minute trailer. Like he doesn't yeah. even want to watch the movie. He wants to watch, watch the trailer and just be like, LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. I mean, that's thrilling to a dad, right? To have your three year old son just like holding LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> wanting to show him how he dunks on his little tight soup that's sick but yeah. i yeah, mean very cool very cool but yeah so so the nba draft is right around the corner next thursday july 29th i believe at the barclays center in brooklyn yep. uh, so that's the real reason we've got you on we want to talk about uh, everything nba draft and, and you know what you think is going to happen in the lottery you know particularly in the top five talk about some values some guys whose stock is rising falling stuff like that so 
you know, thanks for thanks for hopping on with us to talk about that. I guess we'll just start at the top and and uh, kind of go down your uh, your latest mock draft and start with the Pistons at number one. What do you think they're doing there? Oh, it's Cade Cunningham. There's no like. For there's sure. some people like maybe they'll trade it. Maybe they won't. Take, they're taking Cade Cunningham. There's no doubt about it. Like they're not trading the pick. Um, no one's going to give up what their asking price would be, which would be an insane amount. Like Cade Cunningham's a franchise dude. He's the best player in this draft. Doesn't mean there aren't other great prospects in this draft, but like it's 100% him. This is the reason they were so bad this year. Jeff Goodman called him Luka Doncic. Like, yeah, he, I mean, he are might you kidding? be kidding. He, he's really, you know, he, he can score on anybody. He's six, eight. He can pass. He has seven foot wingspan. Like he's unbelievable. I mean, I think that we always judge a little too much of like, well, is, does team go deep enough in the tournament in that crappy product of college basketball? Like who cares? Like, it, like his job is to right. go be a pro and he's going to be an unbelievable pro. And Dwayne Casey is a fantastic coach for him to learn from too. I quite, I quite what you just said to James Harden. Not not the player, but James Harden was he was in Arizona Arizona State, right? Yeah. And he had an amazing regular season in his sophomore season. They got to the tournament after being in the NIT his freshman year, and he was terrible in the tournament. Like couldn't yeah. carry couldn't carry the Sun Devils anywhere. Comes out and is a, a monster in the league. Like it doesn't matter if like if he can't go far. And you know James Harden didn't care at that point. Right. He just wanted to go to the league. Yeah. It, do, so. it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like it there like he was he's competitive. He's got great skills like he's gonna be able to shoot at the nba level like like luca luca's an optimistic comparison but i don't i don't hear that and go like i don't know about that like yeah i could totally see that he's re he's gonna be unbelievable what's is the, he gonna uh, play the two i think it's just gonna play whatever whatever they need him to like i i don't think he has a position i think he could be the point he could be the three he could be the four the two like i think he'll play whatever sure. what's his floor man i mean because i know luca like you said is the optimistic ceiling i mean and that's a that's a pretty high ceiling what's the floor on Cade? multiple all-stars maybe an all-nba appearance like i mean he like it's everyone i've talked to you can always get a bunch of people trying to like poo poo things and like everyone i've talked to is like no there's like there's no reason to think unless there is a catastrophic injury there is no reason to believe he's not going to be a great player right all right man if they're not if they're not going to trade the pick to houston then it's going to be houston number two right so yeah. They've got a they've got a, a decision here between probably uh, a couple Jalen's and an Evan Mobley, right? So, right. what do you think Houston does with the number two pick? It sounds like right now they're going to go with Jalen Green. Like he's he's the consensus within their decision making process, but it's not universal. There have been some people for for Jalen Suggs in that, and I think that I mean I think Suggs is unbelievable. So I don't think that would be a mistake. A lot of people think that's a reach, but I don't think that would be a mistake if they went that way. I think the the weird question is like why isn't Evan Mobley more of a, of a thing? And then maybe it's a smokescreen, right? Maybe they are keen on Evan Mobley and, and they're throwing out all this other stuff to confuse people or whatever. But at a certain point, like, are you that married to Christian Wood that you think like, well, I can't play these two together or Christian Wood has to be my main big man. Like Christian Wood's a nice player and he had a good year and he's had a good career in terms of being able to go from being a fringe NBA guy to now being someone who gets paid a lot of money and puts up good numbers. But Christian Wood like hasn't done anything at this point, right? Like nothing, nothing that important or that impressive. Like, okay, you got your, you had a good year. You, had, you got your contract and cash in. Cool. The team was also horrible last year. So like, what does that mean? And it's not his fault, but he wasn't the solution. And so like, there are a lot of people who think Evan Mobley's the be the second best player in this draft. And if that's the case and you pass on him because you have Christian Wood, like I would try to find a way to put those two together. If you believe in him that much, man, on a, on a rebuilding squad, how do you not take best player available? 
Like right. And Jalen Green, Green might be the best player. Like that's kind of the confusing thing, right? Is that it is all kind of just in here and there's different positions. Like it's three different positions. Like Jalen Green's going to be a wing. Jalen Suggs going to be a point guard and, and Evan Mobley is just going to be a big man. But, um, and green, I mean, green's unbelievable. Green's green's got a little bit of a project, but his, his skill set and his scoring mentality are fantastic. But yeah, like the idea that, that it sounds like they're not really considering Evan Mobley is kind of off to me. It's yeah. it's also crazy to me that that Jalen Suggs isn't more of a thing at at two as well because the world saw him in the tournament and how good he was with yeah. Gonzaga. Like, what makes? I mean, the upside of Jalen Green must be absolutely immense for a guy that barely got any shine. Uh, you know like on TV, in the media, like, is, is it, is it that much higher than Jalen Suggs' ceiling to, to have him be the, you know, the guy there? I, I think there are people who question um, Suggs shooting, which it was fine at Gonzaga. And I actually think like really his only issue is just being balanced when he shoots. And I think that's a super easy thing to, to correct at the NBA level. Like it's just a little bit of like strength and conditioning and repetition and then, and then you're good. And so, and so I, it just, I think it becomes like, do you want a wing or do you want a lead guard? And if they're going to try to play Suggs next to John Wall for however many years, like you're not making your decision because you're like, John Wall's is good, but John Wall's there and he's in the way, right? For, for if you're drafting your next lead guard. Um, and so there could be development issues that way. But I think with Green, like this is a wings league. Like it, for, for teams that are looking to be as good as possible, you need a bunch of wings that can be super versatile and can interchange throughout positions and everything. And I think Jalen Green gives that ability. Plus, like this dude might be a 25 a game scorer and like efficiently at the NBA level. So I just think that you're looking at I want a wing and I want a dude who can score and let's see what else he can do. I've heard Donovan Mitchell for him. And what you just said, you know, dropping 25 a game with some efficiency. It sounds it sounds pretty similar to Donovan Mitchell, but I've also heard Ben Mathlemore. Uh, I mean, Ben, Ben McLemore would be an absolute disaster case if that's, a, if that's it. I don't really see the Donovan Mitchell thing. Cause like Donovan's like a lead guard, right? Like he's not a point guard, but he's a lead guard. I don't know that Jalen's going to necessarily operate and initiate the offense as much as Donovan does, but maybe, maybe, maybe he's got that skill set developing. Definitely a lot of options there, man. Uh, where do you think Cleveland goes then just next best available? Or is there, there a player that you think is a, a good fit for them? I mean, I think Mobley fits, even though they have, Jared Allen to, to resign. I think they want to resign him because uh, he's really good. But I think that's, that's a great example of like what Houston doesn't sound like they're willing to do, right? Is like Cleveland will just say, hey, we'll take Mobley and then we'll see like if they can play together. And if not, all right, we can probably trade Jared Allen on a, on a new contract down the road if it's a year or two away because um, they know that they're not quite there. Like they, you know, maybe Suggs would be in the mix if Darius Garland hadn't had uh, such a good second season, but he looked great last year. Like he, like he had a great rebound from his, from his bad rookie year. Uh, they may try to trade Colin Sexton because I don't think they're really interested in that contract extension negotiation process, but I don't think it would be enough. Like, like Suggs and Garland could work together, but I think they probably view Mobley as the best player available at that point. It's a position of, of need for them. And so it just kind of all works together. If Colin Sexton uh, is gone out of Cleveland. Darius Garland's going to be really, really good, right? Like this yeah, dude's probably. got a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean, he can really shoot. He's got a, a good feel for the game. I think his playmaking's a little better than people give him credit for. Uh, it's just the issue is like defensively, like 
he's just too small to defend and defend well, but he can make up for it on the, on the other end. Yeah, for sure. Going to number four, I mean, Toronto probably just takes the guy that's left between between yeah. the top four, right? Because then there's a big drop-off yeah. after that. It's from, from what I'm seeing and hearing from a lot of people. So Toronto, I, I assume they're happy with Jalen Suggs, right? If Kyle Lowry's not there, then you put Suggs and Van Vliet in the backcourt. That's a very formidable backcourt, right? I think even if they got Kyle Lowry to resign, they would still want Suggs. Like you can they're they're not, you know, against playing a bunch of guards together and having that size made up on the wings with Siakam and Ananobi, like, you know, Nick Nurse doesn't seem to be worried about that. Plus, like, if you're re-signing Kyle Lowry, it's not like you're saying he's our guy for the next 10 years. Like, you're probably just seeing, can we be a top five team in the East again last, you know, next season as we as we get back to hopefully some normalcy, hopefully they're able to go back home to Toronto. They don't have to play out of Tampa anymore. Um, but I don't think it takes much for them to jump back up. So, like, you bring Suggs off the bench for a year, and then, you know, and then you decide what to do with Lowry after that. Like, I think that that would be an easy thing to do. But Suggs is just, you're right, like, he's so much better than than the next prospect in terms of his floor and, and ceiling. And so it, it seems pretty, like, everyone's saying that these four are the top four picks. It's just in some order after Cade. So if I'm a team outside the top four, number four seems pretty attractive to me then. If, if I'm picking the guy, you know, before the big drop-off. Is there any market for this number four pick uh, oh, from what sure. you're hearing? Yeah, I mean the 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 tricky part is trying to figure out like is Masai Ujiri going to stay there, right? Because right? that that whole situation is still up in the air, um, and I believe his contract is is expired uh, this summer. But it's also I think he's helping them through the draft process uh, just in case you know they they go back there. And so like the market's certainly there. Like if I'm Oklahoma City, I got all these future picks putting Jalen Suggs next to Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like that is an unbelievable Ooh. backcourt in the future. Mm. If I'm, if I'm OKC, I'm trying to move up. Um, there are some people who do think like that will be an option, but I, man, I, I don't see if I'm Toronto, like I, I take Suggs and I figure out the rest later. You don't think they like Malachi Flynn enough to, uh, to run it with Malachi Flynn and, and Fred Van Vliet in the backcourt. I mean, yeah, I'm sure in garbage time, like Malachi Flynn's a good player. Like he's going to be a good backup in this league, but why would you ever value him over Jalen Suggs? Yeah, no, for sure. That, uh, okay. Yeah. So, so after Toronto, then we've got this big drop off we've been talking about. We got the Orlando magic who I believe have the fifth and the eighth pick yeah. uh, in the draft. Uh, and I've seen, I've seen multiple mocks, uh, ones with Scotty Barnes, ones with Jonathan Kuminga. So, who do you think's the pick here and why? I think right now it's Barnes. I think the they know like this dude's going to be an all defensive player. Like he's he's unbelievable and he can play make a little bit and some people think the shot isn't quite as broken as others feel like he can he is a bit of a scoring mentality inside the arc and so um it sounds it sounds like he's the guy but if if you start believing that Kuminga's, you know, pre-draft shooting is is a pre-draft uh, pre-draft camp shooting numbers are representative of what he's improving upon then he would probably become the easy selection at five because I do think he has a higher ceiling but I mean Orlando you know you're going to get at worst like one of the best defenders in the league for a decade I think you can do that and then hope your development program can can get him up to speed offensively yeah and and like adam was saying uh you know i've seen kuminga i've seen barnes um and most recently i know we were looking at your mock and i've seen it seems like the consensus now is barnes over kuminga in you know most of the places i'm taking a look at 
Whereas a few months ago, man, it seemed like Kuminga was definitely a lock. He was included in that big five. And, of course, now we're talking it's just yeah. a big four with a lot of question marks at five. Where do you think the fall off has happened for Kuminga? Is it just the questions about his shot and his offense? I mean, is that, you know, decision-making maybe? Where is that coming from? I think so, because if you're not sold that he can become a, a shooter and and a guy who scores, which it, which the scoring part to me – I. I look at his game and I'm like, that dude's going to be able to score. Like he's sure. got a good handle. He can put together a lot of, a lot of moves into good quality shot attempts. And I don't think the shot is that busted, but even if he never became a good three point shooter, I think he could score inside the arc really well. Uh, but if you don't believe in his offensive game moving forward and you're just, all right, do I want Barnes or do I want Kaminga? Well, at everything else, you know, Barnes is better. Barnes is going to be a better defender. He's going to be a better playmaker. Like all this other stuff is in Barnes favor. And so I think there was a little bit of disappointment with what Kuminga did for, for the G league ignite team. Um, Cause I just think they, I think some scouts, some executives hoped he would take over a little bit more. I don't think it's going to be used against him too much, but, um, but yeah, I just think like Barnes is a really impressive prospect. So is Kuminga. And, and it's just like, what do you want that floor to be? If that floor is still an all defensive player, like, all right, that's a pretty good starting point. I feel like, uh, Kuminga reminds them too much of Aaron Gordon. They've got a lot of scars there in Orlando from Aaron Gordon, so maybe they won't take him because of that. Which is funny because they like I, if you're if you're Barnes, like you might remind them too much of uh, of Jonathan Isaac. And I don't know if like if you want another <laughs> Jonathan Isaac, who's a good player, but you know, it's still like there are a lot of holes there. Is Jonathan Isaac going to be fully healthy for the start of the the 2021-22 season? He should be. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything on that, but like he he should be at that point because that's a that's over a year at that point since the knee injury. Like I would I would assume unless there's a setback that he'll be good to go. But I think didn't he have two injuries though? But it's still a year of rehab. Like it's True. still you know that's that's a long time to to be out and to be working on everything. They've got a good they've got a solid young core there in Orlando with. Uh, with Cole Anthony, Jonathan Isaac. I really like RJ Hampton. We talked about him on our show. Yeah, it'd be good if they had anybody who could make a shot. Like, that That would be good. I mean, they, they've got guys I like. Like, I like Cole Anthony. He didn't shoot that well. I like Markel Fultz. He didn't shoot that well. I like RJ Hampton. I don't know what position he plays. I like Mo Bamba, but he, I mean, I don't, I think they're out on him, or at least it seems like, it seems like it hasn't been very encouraging since he got COVID, and so, um, and so, yeah, like there's, there's just not, there's not a lot. And then if Isaac is healthy, great. He's a really nice role player, but if he's not healthy, then what do you have? Like, there's like, they're good. They're going to need a lot of time and a lot of draft luck to, to get on the right track. They should package five and eight and move up to two. Uh, I don't think Houston would do that. I don't think Houston's interested in acquiring more first round picks, but you could probably move up to three or four. Like, I think, I think you could find a, figure out a way to do that. Yeah. And just to continue on that, man, I know, you know, definitely Orlando is rebuilding. And like you said, they're going to take quite a while to to get things going again. Uh, do you think that makes them more willing at number eight to take a player that's a bit more of a project? And if so, I mean, who do you think they would be eyeing at number eight that would kind of fit that mold, high ceiling, maybe take a little bit of time to develop? I mean, I think that I think, you know, Keon Johnson seems to be the guy everyone everyone's very excited about. Um, my concern with him is like he's only like six four, right? And so like he's got a decent wingspan, and he can obviously—I mean, he can jump out of the or out of the stratosphere. But like he like he's he's a guy where if you don't believe he can shoot, then okay. So how many guys? How many projects can you have where it's like good athlete, good measurables, can't shoot, right? And so I think he's an option. I actually think like 
it sounds like Jalen Johnson is getting a lot of good momentum out of Duke. So maybe he could go as high as eight because he's a little bit more, more skilled in that, you know, in that stuff. But I think Keon Johnson's, if he doesn't go seven to golden state, I think that's a pretty safe bet to think they go with him. So speaking of golden state, what are the warriors doing at seven? I've, I've heard a ton of stuff about them not being thrilled with the prospects of James Wiseman and his development and, and rather looking at a guy who's going to be able to shoot the basketball or bring in another veteran all-star to pair along with Steph and Clay. So what do, what do you think happens with, with Golden State at seven there? I mean, I think they're still trying to figure out ways to package picks and, and get win-now players. Like, I think they're fine on Wiseman. I, I think, like, everyone got super negative about him, but 25 teams would be calling right now if he was available. Like, he, like he's still a really good prospect. Like, he got hurt. He got hurt, and they were trying to bring him a, a rookie big man up to speed on a team that was trying to figure out how to get Steph back in the mix at an MVP level. And le- like everyone was learning how to play around Steph. Right. And so like rookie, big, like rookies just aren't good. Like for the most part, like we can have encouraging things, but rookies like young people make dumb decisions constantly in any profession. And so the NBA is really hard. And so it, it's, it's rare that you have a rookie who can contribute right away significantly on a good team or on a team that's trying to be good and so, like, I think if Wiseman can get them an all-NBA-level player, then, yeah, they're going to ship him out. But if that guy's not available, they're not going to trade him just to trade him. And so, I, yeah, they're kind of all over the place. I know they like, you know, they're very interested in Josh Giddy from, from Australia. Like, uh, they're, they're interested in, you know, James Booknight. Like, they're, you know, Moses Moody probably won't go that high, but if he's available at 14 – uh, Chris Duarte, if he's available at 14, like there are a bunch of guys they're interested in, but that's one of the hardest teams to get a read on because we don't know, we don't know what they can get. Like there was some talk of them trying to package up and, and get Siakam, but I don't, I don't think that's a real thing. Speaking of speaking of trades, man, like which teams do you see as most likely to make a deal on draft night to you know shake things up a little bit? I mean, I, I've, I've heard the Knicks are trying to get into the lottery, right? They've got, what, 19 and 21. Um, there have been some rumors about, you know, maybe Sexton to, to the Knicks. I don't know how real that is but um, or how close that is to, to happening. But, uh, but I've heard the Knicks really want to get up into the first round. I think if the Thunder could package some deal, you know, some picks to, to move up, um, either another pick into the lottery or higher than six, then I think that there's, you know, there's a chance that they could make a move. I don't know if I believe Houston's going to keep 23 and 24. Um, Utah may try to move up or move off like one of their expensive wings. Like, so there's, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of teams that could do something. Um, you know, maybe DeJounte Murray ends up getting moved by the, by the Spurs for someone. But, um, but yeah, like I think probably the most likely is the Knicks moving into the lottery. So one thing that we've, uh, that Coffer and I've kind of been talking about offline is, is just kind of, you know, how deep this draft is. I mean, obviously we have, you know, the cutoff after the top four and it definitely seems like there are a lot of quality guys that are going all the way to the end of the first round. You know, I'm, I went to WVU. So obviously I love Deuce McBride. I'm really hoping I, you know, we see him at the end of the first round. Talk about man, how, how deep is this draft in your opinion? I mean, what is the, the caliber of guys in this draft compared to other years, for example? I mean, I think it's pretty deep. Like, I think you can get rotation dudes, you know, kind of into the 40s and, and everything. Like, there's a there's a bunch of very intriguing guards from, you know, Josh Christopher, um, Quentin Grimes, McBride. I mean, McBride probably, like, could be a first-round pick. So, like, he may not even be that deep in the draft. Like, 
um, Bones Highland, a lot of people are, are super high on, uh, you know, Kessler Edwards, if you, if you think that he's kind of more of a guard than a wing, I think there's a lot of depth at the guard and there's a lot of depth at wing. I don't know how many like really impressive big men there are or how many impressive international guys that there are. Uh, but yeah, man, you can get you a wing, you can get you a guard in this draft for sure. That can probably contribute within a couple of years. I just want to pull the thread on that a little bit more. Um, I mean, you kind of brought up some guys that I don't think a lot of people are so familiar with guys like Nashawn Highland. And I mean, some of these smaller schools and some of these guys that are, you know, we're going to see at the end of the first round, early second, you know, can you talk about some of these guys and just uh, from these smaller schools and, and how impressive they might be for the NBA draft? Yeah, for sure. Like the, the, you know, I think with, with Highland, like Highland can, Man, I just think he can put the ball on the floor and he can get so much, so much, so many good opportunities for, for him. Now, you know, is he going to be a playmaker for others at the NBA level? I don't know, but like a guy that can come off and, and get a bucket off the bench is just so valuable as we've seen throughout, you know, throughout the playoffs um, with Kessler, like Kessler's just, everyone raves about how smart he is as, as a player, like just, he's going to be like kind of one of those Swiss army knives that can figure, figure everything out. I mean, there are guys like, you know, like, like Josh Primo who, um, super young, but people think that he, you know, if he can figure out the shooting thing consistently, that he's another, like, just very athletic wing. Christopher, very athletic wing. Um, but, but yeah, like, I think, I think in this draft, whether it's like Cam Thomas or, or it's it's Nashawn uh, Highland or it's it's Kessler or it's you know Quentin Grimes, I think you're looking like, do you believe they can make threes at the next level? And if so. Uh, do you want that that guy running your second unit? I think for a lot of them, like yeah, they that you would feel comfortable about that. We talk about talk about some of those guys who go late first, early second. So I'll put you on the spot here. Bold prediction: Who's who's the Nicole Jokic to this draft? Who's, who's going to go in the second round and uh, and make some noise in the NBA? Um, who's going to be a once in a generation big <laughs> man that got taken in the second round? I, I don't know if there is any of that. I'll say like I like. I like uh, Deshaun Nix, G League point guard. Like he's a little, little out of shape, but I think he's got a great feel for the game. Jericho Sims impressed a lot of people. Like that dude's crazy athletic out of Texas. Uh, I guess the knock on him is he's like, he's already 22 years old, right? Like I, I, if, that, if you want to call that a knock, he, I don't know how skilled he is, but he, he might be like a Mitchell Robinson type, right? Where like taken kind of later um, and there's a lot to harness with that athleticism. But if you do it, that's a really impactful defensive player. Um, a lot of people look at like Greg Brown out of Texas as well as like a project guy, just because he can be, he looks like he's going to be a great defender, um, at the, at the NBA level, but he's so raw everywhere else that I don't know. I don't know what you would do with that. I'm trying to think of like, if there's another dude, like maybe, maybe like I could see like, like Raekwon Gray who's just like a tank of a guy who people, some people think can, can be like a, a shooter. Like maybe, maybe he's like, you know, the next Ennis Cantor or something like that, just in terms of how valuable a guy can be getting buckets, being big, grabbing rebounds um, at the NBA level. Uh, but yeah, like, I think, I think there's some dudes, I just don't know if there's that, that international guy that no one's thinking about as being a good player at the NBA level. Cause you gotta remember like the nuggets didn't think Jokic would be anything close to this. Yes, this is this has been great, man. On this uh, all this draft stuff, appreciate you coming on talking about this with us. But uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't pick your brain on some of the the trade buzz that's going on around the league right now. Sure, throw you know, at me. Dan Titus and I are both Sixers fans, and, and we want to know what's going on with Ben Simmons, and we really want to know if Damian Lillard 
has or will request a trade and where he wants to play? Uh, officially he is not. Um, I think, I think he's struggling with that decision of like really pulling the trigger on it, but like everyone believes it's going to happen pretty soon. Um, I mean, you hear the Knicks and, and I do think like that big market draw, especially if it looks like they're serious now about winning, um, that's going to be there. Like maybe a team like Miami could try to get into the mix, but I don't think they have the trade capital to, to really get it done. But yeah, like he'll probably go where he wants to go wherever that, whatever that list ends up being, like, I don't know that he's going to like stars generally get to like Paul George had years left on his contract. Wanted to go to the Clippers, went to the Clippers, James Harden years left on his contract, wanted to go to the Nets, went to the Nets. So, you know, Dame, I don't see why that would be any different for him. Like he's a great player. People are going to want him, but if he wants to go somewhere, those relationships tend to, you know, with the agents tend to get held up um, to make sure that that's, that's not a problem down the road. Uh, and then for Ben Simmons, like, I think the market's really big for him. I think there's a lot there where people want, it's just determining what the value is. Like, I, I don't think it's, I could be wrong on this. I don't think it's like settling for CJ McCollum and hoping that that's the move. Like, I think you can get a lot more for him. Um, and I don't think there's a rush to trade him. Like, I don't anticipate him being dealt definitely this summer. Like, I think if he gets moved, that's probably an in-season move because, if you're trading for him, you probably want to see a little bit more and you see that by seeing how he responds next to next season, right. To the start of next season. So I think, I think for both those dudes, Dame and Ben, like if they're going to get moved, I think it happens in season rather than this off season. And we heard, we heard a, a trade rumor early on, right? I think right after the Sixers were knocked out of the playoffs that they were offered Malcolm Brogdon in a first uh, for Simmons. And if that, if that's true and that's his trade value to me, that's incredible value. So I think I actually think Malcolm Brogdon would be better for the Sixers than Ben Simmons is. I think if was. you I think if you traded Ben Simmons for Malcolm Brogdon and one first round pick, you should be fired immediately. I don't think I, that like Malcolm Brogdon's fine, but is he, he like a, a top ten to fifteen point guard in the NBA? No. Is Ben Simmons? Is Ben Simmons a defensive player of the year candidate? Is Malcolm Brogdon? Like that's the thing. Like I get Ben Simmons has his issues, but if he never gets any better than he is right now and puts up these numbers for 10 years, right? He ends up with 16,000 points, 8,000 rebounds, 8,000 assists, and a, probably a bunch of all defense and a, maybe a couple of defensive player of the year awards. Those numbers, uh, 16,000, 8,000, 8,000, LeBron, Jason Kidd, that's the list. Like, I get it. Ben said, like, Benzim is not somebody I want on my team in the fourth quarter. I don't want anyone who's scared, but, like, he's a great player. He's a great player where we only focus on his issues, and so... If you're telling me that for a guy who's going to be all defense every year and be a defensive player of the year candidate every year that I can get the point guard for the Pacers and a pick and that's it. Yo, I'm not trading them. Like I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll wait for him to leave in free agency before I trade him for Malcolm Brogdon and a pick. You're that is... low on Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> I'm, who's that high on Malcolm Brogdon? Like, what has he done? He, he, averaged, he averaged 21 points and six assists this and season. And where did that get them? That that's, team's that's, a bon- that's a bonus's issue. Why? Why isn't Malcolm Brogdon's issue? That's Paris Levert's issue. That, that whole team isn't, the team isn't built right. You're right, because they have Malcolm Brogdon as their point guard. They're supposed <laughs> to save them. Like, he's fine. He's a good player. He's not someone that you should trade a defensive player of the year candidate for. He's not someone who you should trade a walking triple double for. Like, as, a, he, like, as a Sixers fan, the Sixers were better in the playoffs when Ben Simmons was off the floor. Like 
he, I mean, if he gets his free throw percentage up to 75% and, and is a threat to shoot the basketball, now I'm all in on Ben Simmons. But he regressed this season in his in his fourth, fifth, fourth or fifth season did in the he, NBA. He almost, he almost won Defensive Player of the Year. How did he, how did he regress? His, his free throw percentage went down. His points per game went down. Uh-huh. Ugh. And he, and he almost won Defensive Player of the Year. Joel was he all NBA? That. Was he all, Joel... all defense? Like, <laughs> what, like what, what's the issue? You Show said me you did, where Malcolm you, Brogdon did anything. Show me you where said he you, did anything. You said you didn't want Ben Simmons on your team, though, in the fourth quarter. What kind of playoff uh, basketball player is that? Okay. Can, can Malcolm Brogdon get me to a playoff game in the fourth quarter? What Probably. has he done? Like, what has he done? Like, I, like, if you told me I believe in C.J. McCollum, C.J. McCollum's like a dude I think if you unlocked him, if he wasn't next to – that I can buy into. I can buy into that. The idea that Malcolm Brogdon, and by the way, if I'm taking CJ McCollum for, for Ben Simmons, I, you better give me a handful of picks. Like, it's going to take that. But Ben Simmons, what, 24, 25 years old, all defense, defensive player of the year candidate, great passer, great rebounder. Okay, like, I don't even give a shit that he can't make free throws. If he just simply wants to shoot free throws. Like, Giannis can't make free throws. The issue isn't in him making any of that stuff. The issue is in him putting himself in position to shoot them. That's the issue. That right. is way easier to fix, in my opinion. And his aggressiveness down the stretch. Yeah, yeah that's what that is. Like, right. Giannis, had, Giannis went four for 11 last night. Ben, no Simmons isn't, ben Simmons isn't scoring 40 points in a playoff game. He's definitely not. You know who else isn't? Malcolm Brogdon. At least not in the game they're going to win. Like, Malcolm Brogdon, like, I'm, I'm floored. Like, I feel like you just went back in time to 2015 and said, let's trade for Jeff Teague. That's going to be the answer. You just compared Malcolm Brogdon to Jeff Teague. You're right. That's probably wrong because Jeff Teague was an all-star that year <laughs> in 2015. All right. So, so you want, if you're training Ben Simmons, you need CJ McCollum and a package of picks. That's the floor of what I'm willing to take. Like I need a package of picks regardless. Like if I'm like, I'm probably trying to like who they should be trying to do. And this is very pie in the sky, but like you should be putting pressure on Washington to move Bradley Beal. Like, you can offer Ben Simmons and some picks and maybe, like, a Tyrese Maxey or something like that for Bradley Beal and then see, like, hey, you're going to get anything better than that around the league? So, I don't know I'm, if they will. I mean, do you think he, that the Sixers end up getting value for Simmons or do you think he ends up just staying put? I mean, I think he, I think Daryl Morey's, like, not going to panic trade this, right? The reason they panic traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook is because Tillman Fertitta got involved. So as long as ownership stays out of – out of the way and lets Daryl do what he does. And Daryl's new there. So I'm, I'm assuming they're going to, I'm assuming that's a big part of him going there. Then like, yeah, they'll like Daryl Moore. Daryl Moore is not going to trade him because like, Oh no, the fans are upset. He doesn't give a right. shit about that. Right. Like he wants, he wants value. And so I don't think he's going to take a bad deal just to get rid of Ben Simmons. I don't think it's that dire of a situation. It's not Twitter, like Twitter, like go talk to executives around the league and then go check out Twitter's, opinion of what's going on and it's very different what do you think about uh so i'll let that i'll let you have that one uh i'm i'm downplaying you don't have to let me have anything but i'm malcolm brogdon as the as a the return with a pick like i'm sure it was offered i'm sure it was offered like i can offer you five bucks for your car it doesn't mean it's that offers the value (laughs) of the car that's that's totally fair point i might i i think i'm just still scarred from the fact that the sixers should have absolutely beat the hawks and could have yeah. given could have given the Bucks a run for their money. For sure. Uh, maybe the franchise center shouldn't get hurt all the time, too. Maybe he should be in shape. Maybe he like maybe he should do that, right? MVP yeah. candidate. Imagine if he was in shape. <laughs> for sure. 
Yeah. I think he got, I think he got in better shape, but I maybe it still wasn't enough. Still not in, still not in good shape though. Like everyone around the league is like, yo, he's fat. Why is he so? Yeah. Fat like why can't he get into the Jokic uh, diet plan where he lost forty pounds and right? Think about that. Think of three years ago, you were I told you like, hey, someday you're gonna hope that Embiid is in the shape that Jokic is in. That's an insane thought, but it's correct. <laughs> Jokic Jokic is is low key yoke now. I mean, he yeah, he just, he just still doesn't play any defense, but low key yoke. That's okay. He played like didn't he play all all seventy two games this season? He did. He got swept in the second round. <laughs> <laughs> this guy Zach Harper is incredible. I love it. So so one more guy, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Is he going to be a Clipper next season? I oh man, I don't know. There, that's that's a split one. Like he's definitely going to opt out. Like it doesn't make any sense for him to keep that deal. He can, as KD proved, like you can have a catastrophic catastrophic injury and then people are still going to give you a max deal. Um, so I think that. I think he'll opt out. Um, a lot of people doubt that he wants to leave Southern California, that he's just like, he's a creature of habit. He's a dude that likes being home. He likes the, the lifestyle he has at home. He likes the calm of it all and that no other place can do that. But there are also some people that think, you know, Dallas is going to be very aggressive. You know, Miami can be very aggressive. Uh, I don't know if my, I don't know if Miami's culture is, is what Kawhi Leonard would adapt to just in terms of like the amount of work you have to do, the amount of practice, not that Kawhi doesn't work, but he does like his load management and Miami isn't really about that. Uh, or at least Pat Riley's not really about that. So I do think there's a little bit of a, of an issue in that, but they also like, you know, Pat Riley loves to go whale hunting and there's not going to be a bigger whale on the market than, than Kawhi. And so um, I think the smart money is on him staying. I don't think he's going to leave, but I'm not convinced that that he's staying. And Zach, I'll toss one more to you, man, before we wrap it up. What do you think about Chris Paul? I mean, do you think the result of the finals has any impact on him staying with Phoenix, or is he definitely coming back to the Suns or definitely hitting the road? I think he's getting paid. So yeah. if, if Phoenix is willing to pay him, um, and he's made a lot of money in his career, but if, if I mean, even with that, after that, if I'm like, if I say like, hey, you can still get $150 million or whatever that contract ends up being over three years, I think he's going to, he, he would stay in Phoenix if they, if they give him a, a massive deal. Um, if they don't, and it is Robert Sarver. So like, you know, not exactly the gre- the greatest history of, of opening up that pocketbook and, and letting people, you know, get paid and, and paying the tax. And you got to think like they have Deandre Ayton's extension. They have Mikhail Bridges extension and they have Chris Paul's free agency situation. And that doesn't count Cameron Payne, who's probably out of there because he needs to go get paid somewhere. Right. Um, that's a lot of money to commit um, over the next few years. And so if he leaves, like, I don't know, man, like, I guess the Knicks are, are an option that they, that's been rumored. That's been whispered enough for a while. Uh, but I think he's going to go somewhere where he believes he can have this, a similar impact. I don't think that necessarily means like NBA finals appearance. Right. But, right. Um, but I also think like, man, Sarver would be so dumb to not, to not pony up that money right now. And so he probably stays, but I, but it's not, it's not a lock. Like no, like no one really seems to believe like, Oh yeah, he's definitely coming back. Like people think he probably will, but not a definite. So on that note, we'll close out uh, this week's episode of the stretch Four podcast and uh, appreciate uh, Zach Harbour from the athletic coming on, joining us, talking a little bit about the, the finals, the NBA draft and a little bit of trade buzz from around the league. 
So Zach, tell the listeners where they can find you. And uh, obviously you're working on some draft stuff, but are you yeah. coming out with another mock or something? Or Yeah, I've got either like a question, some questions around the draft coming out this week or a mock or both. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I got a, I got a bunch of draft stuff coming up. Uh, you find me on The Athletic. Subscribe to The Athletic. It's the best sports coverage on the internet. Uh, you can hear me on SiriusXM NBA Radio uh, every Wednesday to Friday from 10 to 1 a.m. Eastern or uh, on Mad Dog Sports Radio on SiriusXM every Friday night from 10 to 1 a.m. Eastern. And uh, what else? I don't know. Talk Hoops on the socials and... Uh, I got something. Oh, Cinephobe. Cinephobe is a movie podcast I do with Amin Al Hassan in which we review movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and we try to ascertain they're properly poorly rated or maybe they didn't get a fair shake. So it's Cinephobe uh, wherever you find uh, podcasts. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely appreciating that. And listeners, be sure to check all this stuff out. We've got two uh, two more amazing guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. We've got Josh Lloyd of Basketball Monster joining us next week. And Jovan Buha, also of The Athletic, the Lakers beat writer and has been covering the NBA Finals. He'll be joining us uh, the following week. So stay tuned to the show for some more fire content this offseason. And until next time, we'll holler at you later. Peace.